Good morning, Matt Wallman. How are you? This look, it's it's a week without football. A whole week of nothingness. Uh, like not even reflecting back on a Super Bowl. What are we gonna do? We're gonna get ready for the NFL draft. You know what oh, we're yeah. gonna do? Yeah, we're gonna write. We're gonna write notebooks over at Football Guys. You know. And we're going to do all those kind of things. And you should all head over to mattwallman.com and uh, check out the offerings there, the rookie scout, scouting portfolio available. Matt Wallman RSP, also a website you can visit. Yeah, appreciate that. And of course, you should head over to Football Guys, check out Bob's awesome work. Great addition, of course, to the Football Guys universe. The new guy. <laughs> the new guy. The old guy, the new guy. Yeah, you, you know, I remember first reading you over there a long, long time ago. So it was kind of a, it, it's before I was there. So it's it's fascinating how the, you know, things just kind of go in cycles, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it, it is interesting. And so I did mention in that first uh, notebook, which will be a weekly thing where I just kind of sit around and mess around and, and look at stuff because it's this time of year that we just look at stuff and we start you know i mean the process yeah you know, it, it's funny because you know people are out there saying you know i'm i'm currently in what have five best ball drafts going on and i'm a slacker mike dempsey's in 30 of them my serious co-host um but and have done a number of mock drafts already and you know while matt is diligently uh digging through tape of rookies uh, I'm sitting here getting ready for the next season. People say, what, what the hell are you drafting in February? What's, what's the point? And the point is, is to be steeped in the topic, right? So like at any point in time, I feel like I have a, a comfort level with drafting. I, I want to say like the, the first draft I did, the first mock draft, I came up to a point in the 11th round. I'm saying, I'm going to be all sneaky here. I'm going to get Brock Bowers, that fantastic rookie tight end Matt Waldman has told me so much about. And that's 11 round, you know, seems like a, a Laporta-ish price range for him looking back at last year. And someone took him right out from under me, right? And this is a common occurrence. But what's not common, for me at least, is not being prepared with a suitable pivot right, you know, in my hip pocket. Someone ready to pull out. And I ended up with a share of Jerry Judy. Something like, I'll draft anyone at the right price. I don't know if 11th round is the right price for Jerry Judy for me at this point. <laughs> I'm like generally averse, but you get to that point where... You, you know, so the, the it's reps, you're continuously drafting and us continuously talking about these things and getting in our minds what value should be, how we view players, what we view their roles, or, you know, what we expect those roles to be with new coaches coming in, all that. It's very important. And, and the more you draft now, I'm not saying that it's like ideal or that everything you think is going to happen, all the happy stories you've told yourself uh, about, you know, someone having a great success or somebody else coming up short. Are going to come true and you'll be able to adjust but but what all the players i'm drafting now and i'm drafting rookies before the draft oh no what are we gonna do well i'm gonna continue drafting after the draft and i'm gonna make adjustments in that process of filling in the blanks of information along the way is what keeps me well informed in august so when somebody snags a player right out from under me boom, i got somebody right in my hand right so, like pra yeah practice players. practice makes perfect though i do exactly the, the takeaway the other takeaway i got from this is that that what you just compared with Brock Bowers and Jerry Judy feels like as if like Miss Football Die Hard took out the pork tenderloin out of this, the refrigerator <laughs> and you got left with a can of Spam. <laughs> More or less, yes, <laughs> yeah. that, would be, that would be the case. So one of the things we're doing, you know, as you're drafting this time of year, free agency is a few weeks away here. Well, not even a few weeks, a couple, literally a couple weeks away, middle of March. Uh, we'll start hearing about tags, et cetera as we get out of the combine and we should pay attention to the, the thing we need to pay attention to at the combine is every coach and every GM that's there talks. And if there's a point where somebody's going to accidentally tell you the truth, this is the point. Yeah. And even if they're not telling you the truth, they've set a baseline. So you can start comparing what's happening to what was said and you can figure out what the lies were and what the truths were. So, be watching for that and we'll start figuring out some of the players that are going to be on the move and i think one that interests me because i think the price is is interesting is derrick henry is going currently if you're drafting right now one of the things about drafting right now is you're going to get some great values on players there are going to be players you get derrick henry in the fifth round might end up being a huge steal my my guess is he will be i based on my eyeballs from last year he can still play a little bit if he lands in the right spot um I could see him having another big year and easily outproducing this value. There are other players who are going to be free agents who 
whether they remain or not where they are, are going to, you know, create value. Zach Moss out there going with the 163rd pick in drafts. If he winds up in the right spot as a free agent, he's going to easily outproduce that. So we'll start sorting some of that out with and Derek Henry. Are you feeling him right now as a fifth round draft pick in a fantasy draft? Oh, without a doubt, because I would have probably considered him in the third round um, as a value. Um, and I know that a lot of, you know, there's a, the, the, the biggest question here, of course, is where he winds up and whether it ends up being a committee and he just becomes some situational back for a team that's, that's saying, we've got an established guy, but we can get Derrick Henry for a price we didn't expect. We get depth at the position, and maybe we can keep him fresh for the playoffs where we have this idea that he's just going to mow over, through people because we've kept him fresh. And then, you know, and then maybe he isn't that type of value. But I would think of all the backs, there are two backs that I look at on the free agency market, Derrick Henry and Josh Jacobs. They're getting starting gigs somewhere. Right. And if they don't, somebody's stupid. Right. A whole lot of people are stupid. How about right. and you? Are, fifth round for you? Is that like a bargain oh, yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah, I've been I've been going a little earlier than that. I'll reach into the fourth. And, you know, there are the, the range of backs there, you know, that I don't feel comfortable with. And so maybe I feel a little comfortable with the uncertainty that's here. Uh, you know, we're going to rhetorically feel or fuck many players here. I am totally rhetorically and actually feeling Derrick Henry at this price. I just think that, you know, and we could all sit here and speculate about the possible landing spots. There are a handful that seem really ideal. Baltimore being one that we've talked about before. Uh, the Chargers being one that suddenly is more interesting you know, and I mean, Saquon Barkley has been mentioned in connection with that. Sounds like he might get tagged here in the coming days. But, but I mean, there's a lot of pieces. Dallas, you know, somebody who worked with Tony Pollard and let Tony Pollard be Tony Pollard and yeah. turn back to the thing we want. Philadelphia, you know, DeAndre Swift will be moving on. Uh, what, what are they going to do to fill that void there? Uh, so a lot of interesting pieces to move around. I think Derrick Henry is a piece I'll be watching closely because he's a fairly cheap piece at the moment. Stephon Diggs. Um, I think the range of possible outcomes here is, you know, he's fallen off the cliff, never to be heard from again. Or this is going to be a tiny blip in a this nine-game stretch that he closed last year with. It's going to be a blip on the radar and well, something we won't even talk about uh, when we look back on his career. Um, feeling or fucking uh, the later edge, the later edge of that, the, 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 this is a blip on the radar. I'm going to say it's more of a blip on the radar because I understand that he's 30 years old, but I'm not too into the whole cliff idea of players overall. I think more than anything, the Buffalo Bills probably got figured out a little bit offensively. Um, and they were kind of in the mix of doing a lot of trying to do a lot of different things. They're trying to cope with the fact that Gabe Davis isn't what a lot of people thought Gabe Davis was. Um, Khalil Shakir was coming on. Um, they Dalton Kincaid, should they target him in different ways? I think Josh Allen was actually trying to figure out his pecking order, whom to trust, whom to target. And I think that is, as a result of that, he and Diggs weren't always on the same page. So while I can understand that maybe the data may point to a downturn, I'd be willing to give him a, a little bit of a, a mulligan for the for the stretch of the year last year. At the same time, I'm bad. probably not going to have to. <laughs> it was bad. But at the same time, I'm not going to have to probably pay right. a second or third for him. I wouldn't be surprised if he falls another round or two. And you're looking at him he like at that Tyler Lockett kind of fifth, sixth round pick. And if you can get Stefan Diggs as a fifth or sixth round pick, I'll take that chance. Yeah, I'm probably taking him. You know, so right now I've seen him going at the at the two three turn in most of the drafts I've been in. He gets into the third round, I'm starting to you know go okay. Here we go, value city, and this is something that you know I do, and I think a lot of people do. You make a list of the players who came up short uh, the previous season, and that's something you start looking for as you draft where they fall into the ADP, what other people view them. You know, at least if you're in a recurring league or something, there's a one of the 12 managers, if you're in a 12-team league, is probably not going to want to draft Stephon Diggs this year. Right? And, and, and it may be, may be wider than that. So that's always something I watch for. I think Keenan Allen is another interesting character because he is older. 
um, <clears throat> because there's a new coaching staff that seems to be known more for running than throwing the football. Looking at you, Greg Roman, um, and Jim Harbaugh, for that matter. But also, they have Justin Herbert. And through weeks before he got hurt, was I want to say weeks one through 12, Keenan Allen was wide receiver two in fantasy football. Uh, he was very good. He looks like he can still play to me. Are you feeling him as a fourth-round pick, assuming he stays in Los Angeles? And there are cap considerations that we'll have to see how those play out. Um, I'm hoping they work something out with him because uh, I think at the fourth round, for me, irresistible. I'm feeling him more as a fourth round value with the Chargers than anywhere else that he could yep. possibly go. And let's just combine this with the thought because we were going to talk about Justin Herbert. So we might yeah. as well combine these two, yep. the chances of reaching the scene, because you talked about Jim Harbaugh and Greg Roman, and that's the key. You know, people look at Jim Harbaugh and they think of all the quarterbacks that he couldn't develop at Michigan. Do you, I think, you know, first of all, the fallacy is, is you don't develop players. They, they have, as a head coach, you don't even develop players as a quarterback coach most of the time in the college game. We've been through this in, a few times at, at this particular uh, podcast. So what I will say is that Jim Harbaugh started as a quarterback, started as a quarterback coach. And as a quarterback coach, I remember that he was a part of a John Gruden offense that Rich Gannon was the MVP thrown for 4,400 yards. Now he had Jerry Rice and and Tim Brown. So, you know, maybe you discount that and say, again, quarterback coaches don't develop quarterbacks in the NFL. But then you say, okay, well, what about offensive schemes when he was a coach? He coached at the universe at San Diego, the University of San Diego, where he had one Josh Johnson. Now, we think of Josh Johnson in the NFL or in fantasy as just a perennial journeyman quarterback who's been the number three guy. But Josh Johnson threw for 3,300 yards and 34 touchdowns. Um, under Jim Harbaugh and became a top 25 team for the first time in its history. Then he went to Stanford. Andrew and, Luck was and pretty there, good. And that Andrew Luck guy was pretty good. You know, he threw for like 33, 3,400 yards and had 35 or mid-30s in touchdowns. And that Colin Kaepernick guy that, you know, kind of... Even Alex Smith, by yeah, the way. Even yeah, Alex played Smith. Played efficiently. With... Played, he did. You're right. And Kaepernick, similar thing with Greg Roman as the coach. 33, 3,400 yards. He had a 35 touchdown year. So when we look at this, there's plenty of room for Keenan Allen to be good still there and be a high reception count player. And there's plenty of opportunity for Justin Herbert. to. he may not reach 4,000, 5,000 yard ceilings, but then again, we're not playing in a, in a non cover two environment anymore. So it's still going to be more dink and dunk, which benefits, um, Allen more than Mike Williams and it it means that you're probably looking at 30 33 to 3500 yards and 30 plus touchdowns for Justin Herbert and that's enough to say yeah he's reaching his ceiling in this defensive era so yeah I'm feeling all of that right it's funny how we get a perception in our mind of oh this is going to be run heavy and they did they were run heavy in in San Francisco they were the last stop we saw them Greg Roman obviously the reason he moved on but and they weren't run heavy enough I guess we don't we're not happy that last year they, they when they needed to run the most they didn't maybe they could have used a dose of Greg Roman either way um I do think like the chance at like sometimes you have to take people at their at their word and when Jim Harbaugh comes in and, and says you know basically says Justin Herbert's the the ticket to championships I'm guessing he's going to figure out how to use him properly and you know, yeah. like just like you did with Andrew Luck and as you mentioned with Johnson so I'll just you know I'm gonna I'm gonna let the fears of others uh, determine the price, and I'll probably be jumping in on all these players. I do think Allen's a little dice here, just in terms of the salary cap issues they have. Uh, just in a, a semi-related note, and, and we'll see what what happens with Austin Eckler. I mean, he's another one of those pieces that may be floating around out there. And running backs, you know, if you had a list of running backs who understand how the league is undervaluing running backs or devaluing running backs, Austin Eckler is at the top of that list. He after. might be asking Matt Harmon for a raise. <laughs> He might be asking Matt Harmon for a raise. Exactly. So, you know, there that's an interesting thing. The Chargers have the fifth pick overall. Is that too early to pick Brock Bowers? Um, no, I don't think it's too early at all. If you have the if you have a cogent idea of how you're going to use him, and quite honestly, 
Greg Roman used the hell out of Mark Andrews, who is a very similar player, but not quite as rugged in the open field as Bowers. So I would say it's a good fit, um, you know, player type wise. You know, if you're going to look at a an archetype, they have similar archetypes, Bowers and and Andrews. So yeah, it's a great fit. All right. Uh, so a little talk, you know, about T. Higgins' future right now as he is an unrestricted free agent. Possibly he will be tagged. Maybe not. We'll see. I think the I'm leaning more towards tag, but who knows? Funny things happen. So I guess the bigger question, though, are we feeling Jamar Chase more with or without T. Higgins? I'm feeling Jamar Chase in almost any scenario, as long as Joe Burrow is still his quarterback or someone within the zip code or city of being comparable of him. Because I know that maybe there may be some stats that show one way or the other with Chase with or without T. Higgins. I haven't looked at them. I don't know whether there are, but I can tell you this. I've seen the film. And I know that Jamar Chase is technically one of the best receivers in the NFL as a, in terms of releases, route running, after the catch, at the catch point. Um, he's physical, he's technical, he's explosive. And if there's a receiver, receiver in this league with the upside of a 2,000-yard season, Jamar Chase is one of those guys that's on that short list. He is, for my money, he... If you said he's the best receiver in the NFL, um, I wouldn't disagree with you about that, even if there's three or four you could debate that around. Right. I think it's interesting. We, we, we have on the Football Diehards radio program a lot of conversation about Dynasty football. And, you know, you're talking about these high-end wide receiving assets and what their value is. Part of their value for me is who their quarterback is. And for that, you know, long-term, at the moment, until we figure out, sort out Justin Jefferson's situation, Tyreek Hill seems to have a little bit of a shelf life, a self-proclaimed uh, shelf life. Uh, and so, I mean, to me, it's easy to put Jamar Chase right at the very top just because he's going to be connected with Joe Burrow, at least for the foreseeable future for us as fantasy managers. Joe Mixon's future, not so foreseeable. Um, Jay Morrison, Pro Football Network, reporting that they'll probably move on from him. These were similar to the reports last year before – uh, the money changed, and maybe, maybe Joe, you know, Joe, Joe Mixon was willing uh, to to take a haircut last year to stay in place. Maybe it's too much this year. We'll see. What would be an ideal landing spot for Joe Mixon? What are you feeling is Dallas. the right right place? Right? Dallas would be killer because you're going to get what everyone wanted Tony Pollard to be. That's it, what everyone saw Tony Pollard to be. Well, not everyone, but the people who saw, I sure didn't, but the people who thought Tony Pollard was going to be a top five back because he's got speed and he has enough power. And, you know, I know that Pollard was injured, so that's a big part of that. But if you're looking for a back who has that explosion, the power, the movement skills, and can catch the hell out of the ball, Joe Mixon, you don't need Tony Pollard if you bring Joe Mixon in. It'd be nice to have Tony Pollard. And to spell them, but but seriously, that's the, you know you have a if you took Rico Dowdle and made him and combined him with Tony Pollard, you, you know, and sprinkled a little fairy dust on top of it, you probably get Joe Mixon. So the, to me, that offense is exactly would be the elixir for the next couple of years for both those teams. Feeling the, the fairy dust, the yeah. Feeling the fairy dust for sure. Um, I, like, you know what? I had not actually thought about this. And now that you've uh, opened my eyes to it, I will never be able to unsee it. And I will be here banging the table for it <laughs> the entirety of the offseason. I thank you for that, Matt Ball. You're, you're very welcome. <laughs> um, it's the least that I can do for all you do for me. So, <laughs> Justin Fields, best outcome. Uh, everyone, if you're just crawling out of hibernation or something and you somehow were not in on any of the fun here the bears have a big decision to make they've got the first pick overall caleb williams will be available to them maybe washington wants to move up uh maybe not maybe other teams interested in moving up uh talk that the bears will require a king's ransom for that pick and as well they should right i mean if you're talking about a generational talent a quarterback going away but also they have to figure out, you know, what Justin feels, what kind of compensation they can get if they want to move on from him. What is the best outcome for Justin Fields? Is it in Chicago or some of the teams that have been mentioned? All of a sudden, we're hearing Mike Tomlin is a huge fan of Justin Fields. We know the Atlanta Falcons have been interested. We know 
there are other teams that are going to have needs at quarterback. What is the best outcome for Justin Fields? Honestly, Raheem Morris or Mike Tomlin. Tomlin so it's Atlanta or or Pittsburgh. Um, Atlanta would be great mainly because the weapons are ready made. They have an excellent offensive line um, and a promising defense. And what they were missing was a quarterback who the Arthur Smith got scapegoated for because he's so rotten with the media. Um, and he, you know, one thing he couldn't do was throw his quarterback under the bus for the scheme that he was basically put in place to protect the quarterback, Desmond Ritter. So with Justin Fields, although Justin Fields may be a little tick slow sometimes with his processing of the field, he does understand more than does Desmond Ritter does when to throw the ball and when not to throw the ball with certain types of coverage and can be a little more sophisticated of a of a decision maker. And on top of that, I think they the Falcons with their run game would really just be a, a fantastic fit. And you'd see a lot more dynamic off-script play um, that would benefit Drake London and Kyle Pitts and you know everybody that they got in town. So that would be fantastic. And he'd be close to his hometown here just north of Atlanta. So it would be kind of a good homecoming. He needs to get out of Chicago. It's not because I think I think Chicago just um, screwed it up. And I think that there's too much of a split with the fan base and the probably the, the staff and the players, probably not even the players, but there's probably a split in that town. And he, and it's going to maybe hard for him to trust what's going on there and how they're going to deal with him. I wish they would have seen it through, but they're probably not going to do that. Steelers, I love the Steelers outlook because again, I think Mike Tomlin will, I, we haven't seen it yet with quarterbacking, I know, but Mike Tomlin overall is a very good manager of teams. And I think that, you know, they've built a good offensive line as well. That's gotten better from what how atrocious it was in 2022. The receivers uh, in my opinion, aren't quite as strong as what Atlanta has, but they're up and coming. And obviously the Steelers have a decent enough defense that can be really good and even better if you have a, an <clears throat> offense that's playing well. So either of those teams, I would love to see that. I would love it to be in Atlanta a little bit more since I'm a Cleveland Browns fan and would like that a little <laughs> less because um, I would like, I'd just like to keep, I'd like, I'd like a season of, of, Cecil Lammy and and Sigmund Bloom um, just spending their time talking about Kenny Pickett and Mason Rudolph. I want to hear. I just what I would like to be there for that, and then just pop up occasionally during their podcasts and like troll them. So that yeah, would be my favorite thing. Some reporting out of uh, Pittsburgh this week about some split opinions on who the quarterback should be, uh, and and probably the split is between maybe one of these guys and totally not any of the guys we currently have. And I'm guessing Mike Tomlin sounds like he's on the uh, latter edge of that. Uh, and it's interesting. Somebody said about Tomlin. I, I think there's a point where coaches are in one spot so long that they just players quit hearing their voice, right? Players, yeah. you know, the message, I don't think Tomlin's the guy who you can ignore in that regard, right? His message, his delivery is something extra but there is a point where if you're not having success the message isn't going to resonate how far are the Steelers from that I think they're per, I think they're fairly close perception wise um where that that may be the case only because it's not so much about what the public thinks though they're an influence of that it's ownership and I think ownership may decide that they do want to shake things up at a certain point because the ownership is the stability of the Steelers. Mike Tomlin certainly has been a big part of that um, because he's done well enough to to be to earn the trust of the ownership as long as he has. But you would, you know, we'll see how wise ownership is because they may look at this and go, look, listen, we had Ben Roethlisberger for a well over a decade. And as unstable as he may have been off the field, he was very stable on the field. Um, and then when you take that, it's hard to find another Ben Roethlisberger. Who did who did the charge, you know, you could say, well, it was easy for the Chargers. They had Phillip Rivers and they went to, you know, Justin Herbert. Well, they hit on that. That's great. But, you know, look at the Raiders. You know, they had, they had Rich Gannon. 
And who did they have after that, if I remember? Derek Carr? Yep. How good was that? It hasn't been great. You know, that was like meh level stability, you know, in terms of what, what you get. So it's hard to find that star who's going to be around for 15, 20 years, who's a Hall of Fame caliber guy. So, yeah, I, I think they're, yeah, I think they're giving, <laughs> I think they're giving Tomlin the benefit of the doubt to try and find, they were hoping that Pickett would be an answer. And I think that we're at a stage now where, they're going to have to get serious about finding a quarterback. I feel like the Patriots did the same thing with Bill Belichick, and he never found that guy, right? Or, yeah. or didn't quickly identify that guy or quickly enough. And I think in his case, you know, for the obvious reasons, the messages don't ring as true with the players uh, with Bill Belichick as they do with Mike Tomlin, who is a captivating, you know, I mean, I'd sit there and listen to him and I'd get fired up, right? And I mean, I, and, I'm, and I think there was a time when Belichick was probably that guy but part of that was winning because he, you know, he's so draconian are his, you know, approaches and you know this us against them thing that that you really have to have a total buy-in inside the building. And you can see, you can see with Tomlin, like not everybody buys in all the time. Says George Pickens, right? Yeah. And I mean, you're going to have in this day and age young players who come in with a different mindset and and maybe over time. But but if you look at the way they handled Pickens internally, made him held him accountable within the building, and I'm pointing specifically to the week where he could have thrown a block he didn't throw and you know right after the game he's saying i'm not looking to get hurt i'm not throwing that block and then a week later he's throwing blocks right yeah, so because he's an immature young man right. and that was and, always the case until and, and he got they know, there and they they're dealing with it properly in the house and not you know calling him out in public and everything i mean the media called him out and he had to answer for it but but it sounded like there was a lot of internal pressure and, yeah. and he was coached up the way he should be so just an interesting sidetrack no, it's, there it's I, like it's a great point, and I just want to add to it because, again, you look at when you say that not everyone's going to listen and you look at what Tomlin did. The other thing is is that Tomlin's regime has picked good players outside yes. of Ben Roethlisberger. And so when you look at Bill Belichick, he has more holes with his draft record. If you, you know, even oh, if well, it's necessarily sure. him, you know, he's like, got like, some look, gaping look no holes. further than the wide receiver position. Yes. Right? So, Where the Steelers excel in the late rounds yeah. and the Patriots can't find a guy in the first or round. Lineback or linebacker or defensive line, or they tend to rebuild their offensive lines quickly after the, <laughs> you know, the Steelers complaint, fan base complains for a year, the line gets better. I mean, you see that. You, you see them, the, the Patriots having trouble with that. So I would say I would give Tomlin a longer leash than Belichick for sure. All right. And, and also the Steelers history suggests that they're not going to be quick to pull the trigger. My entire, since I've been eight years old, they've had three coaches and and I'm fairly old people. I don't yeah. want to date myself completely, but Chuck Noll, Bill Cower, Mike Tomlin. That's wonderful. Is I love that about them. You know, I do too. I think yeah. that I think continuity is such a big deal and is so overlooked in today's league because you need that instant gratification. You need those instant wins, and you know whatever reason the Steelers realize the the wisdom of of holding course over the over time. Is, May uh, there always be a Rooney in ownership there. That's what I until until one of them turns into a Baratheon. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> All right, we'll move on from All that. Right. Uh, so Baker Mayfield. So a little talk today. Jordan Schultz of the uh, Bleacher Report said that they kind of have was a soft deadline for getting Mike Evans, a new deal done for Mike Evans. Uh, he will be an unrestricted free agent short of that. So sounds like he will be an unrestricted free agent. Also, Baker Mayfield, an unrestricted free agent. Maybe he gets the tag. They brought in Liam Cohen, an offensive coordinator that – Baker signed off on him and was, you know, eager to play for, formerly a Rams assistant, and Baker knows him from their brief time there together, uh, but brief but successful. Uh, so Baker Mayfield repeating his 2023 performance if all the pieces remain in place with Liam Cohn as the play caller. Totally feeling it if all the pieces remain in place. If Mike Evans leaves, um, then no, fuck that. Yeah. And I would even say – if Chris Godwin leaves, that there's right. probably a good chance to say, um, no, nah, I'm not taking him at Baker Mayfield at whatever his ADP value will be at that point. But, you know, he's probably still going to be regarded as a high-end quarterback too at best. And there's going to be a lot of players that have commensurate value that you could have a debate about. So, I mean, he's he, he's certainly an option as a quarterback too. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Tua Tonga Valoa. 
can you, will you ever be a quarterback? What I mean, you're playing with Tyreek Hill, one of the most dynamic playmaking receivers in the NFL, Jalen Waddle, a more than capable young receiver. Uh, you know, I guess the backfield is cutting in all the touchdowns. They don't have the tight end we'd like to see. Is Tua ever going to be a fantasy quarterback one? You know, I mean, listen, I mean, this year, I mean, wasn't he QB9? Yeah, but do you feel like you're, anyone's drafting him like that? Do you feel like anyone has confidence in him? I'm not seeing him go like that. Yeah, I guess I'm not seeing people go like that. But, yeah, I think he still is because, I mean, he, he threw for a career high, 4,600 yards, 29 touchdowns, and he was, you know, 69% completion percentage. The The big question is, is can Jalen, I think, I think skills-wise, Jalen Waddle can take over for Tyreek Hill if needed. But do they have other depth at receiver when Tyreek Hill, um, you know, moves on in terms of his career? So maybe I think next year, this year, I don't think this year was his peak. I'll put it that way. I think that he's entering his peak years and the next two to three seasons, we'll see low-end quarterback one value from Tua at least. He's just a, the, the, the issue with him is that he does have a limited game. And so people look at players with limited upside as throwers and they don't like them as much. That's why Kirk Cousins has perennially been a value and Jared Goff has been a value um, this past year. Is yeah, that, you know, I feel like we don't view Tua as that. And I guess maybe I should have phrased my question better is more like this. Why don't we see him as a quarterback one? Yeah, and I think that's the reason is that yep. people like arm strength. They like mobility at 74 rushing yards last year, and he doesn't have the strongest arm. So they think of him as a system quarterback um, in the negative context as opposed to a system quarterback in the positive context. All right, so let's take that to another quarterback who you know is going to be around in New Orleans for two more years, people, as soon as the new contract is done. Whether you like it or not, he's because they're going to be tied to him because his cap hit is so huge this year, they have absolutely no choice. And we'll see what other pieces. Alvin Kamara might be on thin ice there just because they're in so dire of cap problem. They'll probably sort it out, restructure everybody, and push this out, and the cap will continue growing. But Baker Mayfield, or Derek Carr, I think is, to me, like, less desirable than the Baker Mayfields and Tua Tagovailoa's, but he has his periods where he's every bit as productive. He has a great supporting cast. How do you view him? Are you feeling him as a viable fantasy quarterback? You know, for the past two years, early in the in the preseason, I tend to write, I've written consecutive articles about Derek Carr and, or excuse me, David Carr. No, Derek Carr. It, Derek and Carr. Derek Carr. And uh, how he could be, he could have a huge year based on the surrounding talent. And the big key was offensive line play. So last year I did one of those two, and I and I I would like to say that I'm not going to do that again, because, you know. But when I look at Derek Carr and what happened last year, Trevor Pennington, the uh, the left tackle, was awful to begin the year. So awful that they had to change their offense to just keep Derek Carr upright because that guy was getting creamed by defensive ends who have no business getting that much pressure on a quarterback early in the season. Um, and once they did figure out what to do, and it wasn't just, it was more than just putting a tight end or a back on it and limiting their offense. Well, towards the end of the season against Detroit, Carolina, the Giants, the Rams, the Buccaneers, and Atlanta, there was only one week against the Lions where he had just one touchdown. So he had three games with at yeah. least three touchdowns. Right. You know, and he had... It's there. It's there. And it's there. It, so I think that part of it is when, you're, when your team has a known weakness that everyone is targeting and you have to adjust in a way that kind of cripples your offense, of course you're not going to be on the same page with Chris Olave. Of you know, Mike, oh yeah, and Mike Thomas, remember Michael Thomas? Remember how Michael Thomas started the season? I think yeah. Michael Thomas looked pretty good to begin the season. And ending the season on X denigrating your quarterback is probably not the best look. That's probably not the best look. 
But, you know, so I would say that if they add another receiver to the mix, um, I still think there's a chance and you're going to be able to get him at a bargain. I'll still take my chances with him as my quarterback too at a very low bargain price because I know I can probably get he a is second a guy. He's like out there at quarterback 20 or so right there. You're out there swimming in the deep water with him and I'd be perfectly fine. I'll live with that. Too. Yeah. Right. Even in even in Superflex, like if you're taking a super late approach, I just did a Superflex the other night where I uh, it played out reasonably well. I pushed my I took my first quarterback C.J. Stroud at uh, the turn, the first round turn, and I didn't pick another quarterback to like round eight, seven, I want to say, and I still ended up with Geno Smith. So I mean, you know, you're in well ahead, well ahead of the the place where you're going to see Derek Carr going. So I think if you're pushing that out there, and I know people who go into Superflex drafts, Superflex drafts with that intent. That, that intention to really push out on that second quarterback, he'll be a guy that I'll be looking at as a value there. Uh, what is Rashid Shahid? What is Rashid Shahid? Yeah, fantasy-wise. I would say he's a he's a wide receiver four with wide receiver three upside. Best and, ball. You know, best ball play. He's a, total, great ball. he's a great best ball play. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he will. Will he be more? Can, will he will he develop, or is 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 that the ceiling for him? I think there's a chance he could develop, um, but does the team see him as that developable player for that range? I'm I would bet against it. I think the team probably sees him in a box as as that uh, as that speedster. So I'm not counting on it until we hear the team. We hear a coach in late August say he's been great since the beginning of camp, and we're fully confident that he's going to have a breakout season. Right, Clint Kubiak coming in as the offensive coordinator, moving from the San Francisco, another Shanahan disciple. Kubiak and Shanahan's have been going together for a long, long time back since. Uh, so back maybe, maybe Shahid could be Ashley Lalee. But if I remember Ashley Lalee well, he was also that kind of guy. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, so we'll see what happens. And Alvin Kamara, I mean, you know, watch for him in early best balls. He's going very late. I think there's some uncertainty due to the contract situation, or at least not his contract so much as the, the Saints cap situation. Uh, over the games he played, weeks four through 17, he was, what, running back four-ish or so. Uh, you know, his, his run is not over if he yeah. continues running in New Orleans, and especially in a Kubiak offense or the Shanahan-style scheme. He could have uh, a lot of run left in him. Uh, what about Russell Wilson? Is it, okay, feeling or fucking the notion that we've seen the last of Russell Wilson as a starter? As a beginning-of-the-year starter? Because um, uh, that... Okay, yes, I think I think that's probably might start the year as a starter, but... Yeah, I mean, because I, I don't think we'll see his final season as a starter finishing as a starter, but I don't know if, if he will be regarded as a starter down the line. You know, uh, we were talking, to, I was talking to our buddy Dwayne McFarlane a couple weeks ago, and he was like, you know, he had watched Russell and was talking about how, you know, when they took, when they started doing too high in, uh, in across the league and taking away the deep game, Russell Wilson, pretty much his career was over as an NFL starter. That's Dwayne's take. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I haven't watched enough Russell um, this year, I've kind of just kind of, kind of did this with the Denver Broncos anyway, you know. So, but Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton are they're skilled NFL players. I don't think they're a strong wide receiving core one-two punch like that. I can think of probably about twenty-five teams I would rather have their starting twosome over those two guys even if their talents might be um you know impressive on some level because i don't think sutton's a great route runner i still think he he's still one of those guys that you've got to throw him you know five balls for him to catch three um and with judy i don't i think there's something going on there with that team you know for sure you know so looking at that i think Wilson needs a receiving core where he can attack downfield, and those two guys are not it. Anyway, I remember hearing the comparison that that Judy was AJ Brown, um, the next AJ Brown, and I'm like, nah, he's more the next Reggie Wayne. And Cortland Sutton always I thought was overrated as a a player. So, you know, to say that the deep ball 
him not being able to throw a deep ball. I'd say him not having receivers to throw the deep ball were a big deal. And they <clears> did lose Tim Patrick to begin the yeah, year, yep. and Hamler retired. So I'm not all out on Russell Wilson. Allow me to read between the lines here. Russell Wilson, the next starter of the Pittsburgh Steelers, is what I'm hearing. I would love to see that. I would love to see him there, or I would love to see somehow Cleveland get out from under Deshaun Watson, and Sorry. I would be more than fine with Russell Wilson. But yes, Wilson and Pittsburgh would be a very nice fit. For I sure. still have to get over not Joe Flacco not being and in Cleveland. I, I would actually like Russell Wilson there because Bloom hates Russell Wilson as a Steeler. <laughs> He he thinks he's phony and he's part of that lunch table crowd. I mean, I love Bloom, but he's he's part. He likes that lunch table talk, you know, stuff, you know, at the high school. He's he's. I joke that our buddy Bloom is that he's your friend who wants to be more po be that popular guy, and he is a popular guy, you know. But he's that he's that kid that is always looking at that popular kid's lunch table, and he's he's he could be there and fit in, but he he knows his buddies are the nerds, you know, in in, in the group there. But he's 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 always kind of stretching to get over there. And Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, he's always banging on those guys um, because it's cool to bang on them, you know. That's that's my little wink and a nod to you, my friend. Let's bang on some rookies because you think it's cool to bang on them. Yeah. And so I looked at a handful of mock drafts as I so. I'm a little slower to jump into the rookie uh, the the rookie assessment game because I don't assess them, right? I listen to other people who are smarter than I assess them and who are knowledgeable in that. This is a cottage industry under itself, and I happen to be speaking with the person who is probably the best at this of anyone out there. Uh, so this is a good opportunity. Uh, I, the mock drafts I've seen, uh, not exclusively, but majority have Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Jordan Daniels going off with the first three picks. How is that a legitimate possibility? Is this people just trying to be edgy? No, it's very legitimate that those three could be it. Bo Nix is certainly a name that could be in there that that could disrupt it. Drake May could possibly be out of that yeah. that equation. Um, so, but I am feeling that, and that's that's a very likely possibility. The three. You so, mentioned. let's say they are the top three guys off. Will all of them deliver on the draft capital? Because it turns out, Matt, I have this on good authority. According to Bryce Young and the Carolina Panthers, not every uh, quarterback drafted early lives up to the expectations. But C.J. Stroud would like me to know that some can exceed them. Where do you see these three at in that continuum there? All three, hell no, they are not. Um, you know, two out of the three, very possible if we look at it three to four years from now. Um most likely only one of them may um and and it ain't may it's most <laughs> likely williams um but i would put it williams daniels may in that order not necessarily without putting other quarterbacks in between them um you, you know in terms of a, of a draft order but caleb williams is the most promising guy but i'm gonna say this i i don't dislike the quarterbacks in this class at all but if you combine the way the NFL starts quarterbacks early, the way they don't develop them, the impatience of um, of NFL owners, and the, the way they put them out there, every quarterback in this class has a stronger than, has a significant chance of busting, um, including Caleb Williams, who a lot of people think is a the next Patrick Mahomes, um, you, you know, and a can't miss kind of, huge opportunity guy but he also makes enough mistakes that he very well could wind up the jay cutler jeff george type of player with an unbelievable athletic skill set who makes some of the prettiest throws you ever see and a two cent head for the game in terms of um you know not being fully developed and not having the infrastructure around him to do so um because those guys were smart and could understand the game, but they didn't always have the they didn't always have the coaching staff around them to to maximize what they have. And Williams could find himself in that scenario. The uh, old uh, saying, "Who was it that it was about uh, body by Porsche, brain by Mattel?" Uh, <laughs> from a football standpoint, from a football yes. standpoint, it's very possible yeah. that that yeah. could uh, happen and be said. So, so uh, I want I, like. 
I've heard people suggest that Jaden Daniels needs a year on the bench. Do you think there's any chance he gets? Do you agree with that? Do you think there's any way? I, I, you probably agree with that on all these guys. Like they could always use some time on the bench. Yeah. So let me throw that portion of it out. You think that that Jaden Daniels is a guy that could uh, that that really needs that as in terms of his development? Like he seems a little slender. Maybe just from a physical standpoint, he could use a year. He could probably use a year for that. But the bigger part is that he could probably use it because there's certain types of defenses that he will have to get used to reading and um, processing the field with confidence that I would say Caleb Williams has done a better job of processing and maybe Drake may has seen more often, not necessarily done it well. Um, but I would say Daniels and may both need more time because what happens in the league is that all the other details that even what they're familiar with as players in the college level, once they get to the pros, so many details change or get supplemented or there's new things thrown into the mix on and off the field for them that when you're trying to incorporate that on the field at an even faster pace than what you've ever even done, um, you're going to make mistakes with things that you thought you already had down under your fingers, sort of speak. Right. So you want, you know, that's why C.J. Stroud versus Bryce Young C.J. Stroud probably wins in hindsight, not just because of the staff and the fit, but because he was a more technically sound quarterback who had fewer things that he had more things under his fingers to to where pressure and difficulties didn't cause him to make as many mistakes on things. And he goes, I never screw this up. Now I'm screwing this up, you know, whereas Bryce Young had more of that. So I would say, yeah, Daniels and May both, I think, would benefit from at least a year on the bench. And Dan, May, I'd like to see two years. Jaden, I could, I think, one. Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, going back to the Bryce Young, CJ Stroud thing. I mean, because you look, you throw out some of the issues that both of them had to deal with, offensive line play. Uh, you know, think back to the start of this year in Houston. They had like three of five starters out, right? I mean, yeah. like it was not ideal offensive line play and CJ Stroud, not the most mobile guy. Maybe that came more down to scheme and coaching and calling the right plays for him uh, to help him avoid. Whereas you would think going in, Bryce Young, horrible offensive line play. Yeah. Um, but also you thought that that coaching staff would figure it out. That's why they were there, yeah. right? Like Frank Reich, that was, you know, that was supposed to be his forte. So it's just interesting how these circumstances can play out and it's something we'll yeah. be watching closely. But these top picks this year as well it's yeah just when like, you when you can play in structure and you you can find quick solutions because technically right. you're technically sound you can find quick solutions when you're yeah. not as technically sound well, you buy more time a, and it doesn't I always that work was the thing with young though is he was the quick processing guy who was you know who like if someone was going to survive not having great offensive line it would be helpful apparently if you could see yeah. over the incoming pass rush yeah. or, or that you're but if you're as but if you're not as explosive as right. people make you out to be, and you're more Baker Mayfield in mobility. You saw what happened with Baker yeah, with mobility, sure. you know. So yeah, it's not that mo he's not that mobile. He's he's maneuverable, but he needs he needs time in the pocket. All right, all right, all right. So one last one here. Who are you feeling is the best outlier on the list of quarterbacks? Who are you feeling there, Matt? I I always got to get a get a, get somebody on my uh, dynasty team that you have a, a a hunch on. Well, there's three in consideration right now, and I need to watch key components of their games to know whether I'm higher or lower on them. Um, JJ McCarthy, I look at him and I think the athletic ability is there, but a lot of the throws I see that people tout. I'm still not quite sure whether it was a happy accident or intentional. Um, and I'm so I'm I need to watch a little bit more and revisit some of his tape because that could make a big difference of whether I see him as an outlier or as a guy who in two to three years might give you what we hoped Zach Wilson might give us with more moderate expectations than what people had. Um, Michael Penix still stands out to me. I keep listening to people and people I, I really guy. like who are like, he's not good in the pocket. He's not great under pressure. And I'm just kind of like still wondering what I'm not seeing 
that they're seeing to have that conclusion. Um, I want to see a little bit more in the middle of the field from him. And if I like that, and I'm and I'm also re-watching some of his pocket management and things like that, he's probably my top option as the outlier. Um, and then there's then there's probably two other guys. Bo Nix, um, is he, as my buddy Dan Hatman described earlier this week when we had a conversation, is he bubble screen Bo from you know from his days at Auburn and and is he just an improviser who that's all he can really do or were some of the things that I saw on script enough to put me in the realm of that maybe he is quarterback two in this class and people don't realize that I'm kind of I can see that going either way and then I'd say the last guy is the the kid from Tulane Michael Pratt um I would say he probably would need a little bit more time, but he's got he's a nice pocket guy. And if we're going to reach real deep, if you're in one of those Mike Dempsey leagues where like you draft everybody in the phone book and it's yes. still not enough people, I am in one of those then, leagues. Then, then I'll then I'll say Jack Plummer out of Louisville. There's something about that kid that I'm, <clears> you know, maybe late rounds, you know, or you got room on your free agent. Take a take him take a pick of him because um, Jeff Brom can develop some quarterbacks and and this kid plumber can't move like jake but jack has the has the throwing skills and some of the pocket skills that i like jake there's another interesting story for another time just quickly though i said that was the last thing but now i you've sparked something in me um and and by the way i in one of those dempsey leagues i believe i have shares of skylar thompson who is actually usable for some period of time so <laughs> well let's hope let's hope <laughs> Let's hope he gets a chance somewhere because I still think that there's something somewhere, there. right? I, I mean, like there. in these kind of leagues, these are kind of players you want to have on your roster. Um, you mentioned that, you know something about Penix, and so uh, let me ask this about two quarterbacks. Uh, you know, we see Cliff Kingsbury go to Washington. Washington, obviously, within reach of making the move up to that number one pick overall. He has an association with Caleb Williams. He had the association in the past with uh, Kyler Murray, so. We're obviously connecting these dots together. Should the real dots we're connecting be uh, Ryan Grubb in Seattle and Penix, his former coordinator in Washington? It, and... it could very well be. And listen, he's got the he's got the weapons to throw that ball on the perimeter and maximize the strengths of what Penix is, at least from what the people I've talked to see him. Because I'm not sure I agree with what people see with him, as I said about. Maybe he can play a little more inside and play in the pocket. But that would be a good fit for for Penix, I think, on a number of levels. The offensive line is the question mark to a degree, but I think that got a little bit better as the season went along when they got healthier. So, yeah, I like the fit for Penix. And look, to me, the, the player that Caleb Williams reminded me of is like he's an aspiring Aaron Rodgers, but more like if he lands in the middle to upper area, he's maybe a better version of Kyler Murray. There we go. So all it comes full circle, people. And so does this feel it or fuck it. Fuck it, these extra long podcasts. Uh, no, actually, I'm feeling these, these this time of year. Uh, it's very enjoyable to plumb the depths. All right, Matt, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week with more feeling and fucking, rhetorically speaking. <laughs> Love you. Love you. Goodbye. Bye.